Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint this word. I ask that you would cause us to see differently, to think differently, and to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I uh, am wrapping up our series that we did on Facing Giants. How many of you have enjoyed Facing Giants? Well, how many of you enjoyed the series, Facing Giants? Not too many people enjoy Facing Giants, but have you gotten something out of the series? I hope so. How many of you right now in your lives are still facing some giants? Yeah, yeah. And how many of you wouldn't raise your hand no matter what I said? Could I, I see those hands? Right, yeah. You know, when we, we talk about giants, I think the first picture that comes to most people's minds, if you've read the Bible, is the giant Goliath is probably the first one, you know, and God giving you some stones to take them out. The other giants we probably remember are when the Israelites were given the promised land and they were going to enter into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Doesn't it sound good? We've been in slavery. It's been terrible. We went through the wilderness. It wasn't so great, but we're going to come to a place of milk and honey. And they get to the place of milk and honey and there's a bunch of guys that just go, oh my goodness. Uh, The milk's good. The honey's good. The fruit's amazing, but there's too many people we have to look up to right here. You know, I mean, just... Giants everywhere. And here's something about giants. If you study scripture and look at the giants that were spoken about in scripture, you will see that giants were not faced because people were doing something wrong. Giants weren't faced because God had abandoned you. Giants were faced when they were in the perfect will of God doing exactly what he told them to do. Just nod your heads. Were the Israelites going to the land God had given them? Did he tell Moses to lead them there? And so when they got there, they expected milk and honey. You know, how many of you, when you got saved, I don't know, I've been to some churches who promise, come to Jesus, he'll make your life wonderful. It'll just be so peaceful and happy all the time, and you won't have any problems. I don't know where that message comes from. It didn't come from Jesus. So they came, and how many of you expected that as you get into the blessings of God, it's going to be milk and honey? And you got there and you discovered, oh, no, there's some challenges here. We know the story of them entering the promised land. And a story that is not as well told is the story of them re-entering the promised land after they went into exile. Our Malachi series dealt with that a bit. But today I want to talk about Zechariah's zealous story of Zerubbabel. Everyone say, Zay, yay, Zayman. Splendid. I'm so excited. Let me give you some background. Zerubbabel and the Israelites... They'd been rather naughty, and God had said to them, you know, if you don't serve me and you serve idols, I'm going to kick you out of the land that I gave you. And they went through generation after generation that went completely astray. If I were God, I would have zapped them after the second. How many of you have read Kings and Chronicles? You know, it's just depressing. By the time they get past all the godly kings, I don't know, yeah, they're just so degraded, depraved. If I were God, I wouldn't have put up with it. But he puts up with it for generation after generation, which just shows you his mercy, his compassion. But eventually they push him too far and he sends them into exile. But he says, you're only going to be there 70 years and I'm going to bring you back. So Zerubbabel was the leader of Israel at the time. And there is a king called Cyrus of Persia who has destroyed Babylon that took them into captivity. And Cyrus wakes up. The Lord speaks to him. Cyrus makes this statement, the God of heaven has commanded me to build his house in Jerusalem. 
and he sends the Jews back to rebuild the temple. And we all know from Malachi that they get there and they're expecting we just getting sent back. It's wonderful. Back to the promised land and they get there to a pile of rubble. How many of you, you're kind of like, God sent me. God gave me this job. God opened this door. But you, this is God gave me this thing. And, it's, and you look at it and it's just a pile of stones. And you're just like, well, God, what is this? And God says, this is so you and me can build together. I love building together. I don't want to just give you a finished product. What's the point in that? He gets the greatest thrill out of us doing stuff together. And they couldn't build the wall. They had so much opposition. And God comes and anoints them and they build the wall. And then they start building the temple. And they get so much opposition. The devil didn't want them to build the temple. Because the temple was not just construction like the wall. The temple was the only place on earth where heaven dwelt. Where God's presence could be accessed directly. It was a big deal. So rebuilding the temple, God's going, man, I haven't been able to hang out with you guys. I want you to rebuild that so I can be with you. But there's so much opposition, Zerubbabel, they just lay the foundations and they're like, we can't do this. So they stop working on the temple. And then God sends Haggai and Zechariah, two guys, uh, prophets in the, towards the end of the Old Testament. And Haggai and Zechariah are sent to speak to them and say, you say it's not time to build the temple, but God says it is. You say you can't do it in your own strength. There are too few of you. There's too much opposition. But God says that he's going to help you and you're going to do it. And so that's the context we're in. Everyone enjoy the context. That was context. Okay. Uh, so we pick it up, Zechariah 4. And this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel that he gave to Zechariah. He starts with this, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You might know that verse very well. How many of you have heard that before? Some of you have quoted it before, right? This is such a key verse in understanding God, is that so many times I find Christians are trying in their own strength to be right with God, striving in their own strength to do everything right, when what we really should be doing is saying, there's nothing I can do to be righteous I'm going to embrace more of the Spirit, and by the Spirit of God, I'm able to do everything Jesus called me to do. And so he prophesies this to Zerubbabel, and he goes on and he says, Who are you, O great mountain? Talking to the opposition that was there, the challenges they were facing. Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone, the capstone, the last part of the building, amid shouts of what? Grace, grace. Just say that with me. Grace, grace. Some of you have heard me say that. It's kind of been a habit in my life. It was something God taught me when we were church planting in Namibia and we were getting a lot of opposition. And he showed me this verse and he said, Andrew, you just need to speak grace, grace to a whole bunch of these situations. And Carol and I have this habit. When we're facing challenges, we'll, we will just say grace, grace to things. And when things are really tough, we'll say grace, grace, grace. One for every member of the Trinity, you know. And I want to share a little bit today about the power of His grace and the power of His Spirit to move mountains and remove giants. And he wraps up and says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel, who said he wouldn't finish the temple, he probably wouldn't see it in his lifetime, in his heart, has laid the foundation of this house, but his hands shall also complete it. Then you will know the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So there's three elements of this story that I want to focus on today. And the first one is the temple. Now, like I said, the temple was not just any old building. It wasn't just a place where they met. The temple was a place where God's presence came and dwelled. Remember when they built the first temple, that the presence of God so filled the temple that the priests were like, they were like the presence of God had just 
you know, knocked him out. The smoke of the presence of God filled the temple. And it was a place, Pastor Sammy shared on, the high priest could only go once a year into the direct presence of God. But it was the only place where you could access God's presence directly. And building the temple was a big deal to the Jews. But we also see that the temple was not God's ultimate plan. What is God's ultimate plan? He didn't just want one place where everyone would have to travel to. His desire is to live inside of you, be with you, and empower you to work with him. Jesus came and brought a better dispensation. And when Jesus was there, he was sitting with his disciples at the temple, and they were raving about the temple. Oh, the temple is so great. What did Jesus say? This temple will soon be destroyed, and not one stone will be left upon another. Jesus, it's your temple. It's your father's house. How can you talk like that? He knew that he was about to bring a new covenant in which you would be the temple. But now if you know what a big deal the temple was to the Jews, most Christians have no idea what a big deal it is for you to have your body as the temple of the Holy Spirit. We take it for granted. Salvation really is embracing the fact that He lives inside of you. This God that the high priest could only access once a year and if he did it wrong, he was killed. He now lives inside of you. The God who created heaven, the God who did all the miracles, who parted the Red Sea, the God of everything lives inside of you. Now, sometimes we look at our soul and we think it's just a tiny little soul and how could God fit in there? But your soul is infinite. Your spirit man can contain the whole of God. The Bible says that, that you can be full to the fullness of his Holy Spirit, the fullness of Christ. So we must recognize something that Jesus did away with the Old Testament temple. It's no longer relevant. And he brought a dispensation where you and I are the temple. But he paid a super high price. Remember the price? Corinthians reminds us, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Who's the temple of the Holy Spirit now? My body, me, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Most Christians don't think like that. You know it. You know it factually, right? But how many of you wake up in the morning going, I'm full of the God of heaven. I am full of the God of miracles. I am full of all the power of everything that was available to anyone who just got something from God. That lives inside of me. I think Christians need to wake up and recognize what lives inside of you. God has challenged me many times when I just get in the flesh and he's like, Andrew, remember who lives inside of you. And Paul talks about the mind controlled by the flesh versus the mind controlled by the spirit. You have the spirit living in you, but your flesh still lives with you too. Have you noticed they don't get on too well? Some of you maybe shared a flat with a flat roommate or a house with a roommate and they didn't clean the dishes and they messed up all the time and you had to tidy up after them. Uh, maybe you're in a marriage like that. But that's kind of your flesh and the spirit. The spirit is always giving you the power, the presence, the anointing, the joy, the grace, everything heaven has. And your mind has to choose between whether I'm going to run with that or I'm going to run with the flesh. The problem is you trained your flesh all your life. You didn't train your spirit, right? So when your spirit gets born again, your mind still thinks like the flesh. And the whole of the New Testament is about renewing our minds. Being a great temple is about renewing your minds. However, it also says, honor God with your body. How many of you brought your body to church? 
right? You got your body. So I'm not going to talk about honoring God with your body. It's a whole different sermon. You know, purity, holiness, what you eat. Mark Virgler spoke about the fact he would pray for people who would get healed. And they get completely healed. And months later, they'd come back for the same thing. And God said to him, it's not just about healing. It's also about health. Did you know fruit and vegetables are actually spiritual? Look after the temple. Go for more walks. Eat well. Love the body because the Holy Spirit lives in it. Amen. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that, okay? You can just let the Holy Spirit speak to you a little bit more. But just think about this. The glory that filled the temple lives in you. And when it says the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that's not us waiting for Jesus to return and his glory will cover the earth that is talking about the new covenant that each one of us filled with the glory of God covering the earth is going to be his glory as the waters cover the sea. But I am rather discouraged by the fact that most of us as Christians don't even know what glory we carry, let alone spreading and spilling it wherever we go. Would you agree? I, I mean, God has to continually remind me about the glory that's in me. Graham Cook talks about this. Graham Cook's a well-known prophetic minister. This is how the church is meant to live. Start living from a different dimension. Live from the invisible kingdom dimension and discover that nothing is impossible. When Jesus lived amongst us, he wasn't God pretending to be a man. He was a real man living a righteous life, modeling to us what is possible for all of us. So heaven is meant to come to earth through us, the church. The glory covering the earth is each of us living like he meant us to live, bringing the atmosphere of heaven wherever we go. But let me tell you, the only way you can bring the atmosphere of heaven wherever you go is if you are abiding in the atmosphere of heaven. Is if you are recognizing and living from the atmosphere of heaven that lives inside of you. Just nod your heads. And I, you know, I, I've shared a little bit before, but one of the most... I don't have a lot of visions and stuff. I don't, you know. And one of the reasons it's called the invisible unseen realm is because it's unseen. Hey, the, you can write that down. That's pretty deep. <laughs> the unseen realm is more real than the seen, says Paul. But we're not always going to see stuff because it's the unseen realm. But we have faith that the unseen realm is more real than the seen. But I have had one experience where I broke out of the unseen realm and Jesus appeared and light filled the room. I was doing a wedding in KwaZulu. I couldn't sleep. And one of the things he said to me is, Andrew, your task must be to help the church become the church I'm coming back for. Not the church of tradition who says it's always been done like this. And I don't know how many churches are like this, but would you agree with me that the church that Jesus is coming back for is a whole lot more glorious than what it looks like right now? Would you agree that? Which church would you like to be a part of? The religious church or the bride church? God wants us to be glory carriers. The problem is that there are tests that we face that stand in the way of us doing this just freely and with everything we have. How many of you students had to write a few tests to get into second year? Okay, some of you are still first year. How many of you had to write an exam to get into first year, right? How many of you know that you have to pass a test to go higher? You cannot get to the next, graduate to the next level without going through a test. Okay? Students, sorry, I made you all sad. I was like, oh, I was thinking of Jesus. Now you made me think of my test. <laughs> oh, Jesus can help you with your test. But 
Just because you've been tested doesn't mean God doesn't like you or He's abandoned you or everything's going wrong. Tests are there so that He can show us what's in us that doesn't look like Him. And so we see in Scripture that the Bible says that the Israelites, God says, I took them through the wilderness to test their hearts. Right? The miracles of Moses were needed to get them out of Egypt. The wilderness was needed to get Egypt out of them. You're catching this. Think about Joseph. Think about David. What was the promise? Hey, David, you king. You king of Israel. Woohoo! You king. Okay, now we're going to kill you. And you're going to live in caves and you're going to run around fearing for your life for seven years. But the thing David learned is how to live like a king before he even became a king. He lived in that prophetic identity. And the thing we need to do is learn to live in the glory in our prophetic identity, even when it doesn't look like what we want it to look like, even though it doesn't look like the finished product. Amen. And so God allowed them to have giants and giants bring a choice. When they got to the promised land, he had said to them, don't worry about the giants. I am going to help you destroy the enemies. But they chose not to believe God. They chose to enjoy the fruit, they brought a whole bunch back. It was like the grapes were so heavy, they had to carry them on two men's shoulders. Now that's some grapes, boy. Imagine. And they, the fruit's amazing, but they were giants. Sometimes when God gives you a promise, you're going to end up coming to that promise and it's going to be rubble because you've got to start building with Jesus. And there's going to be opposition because he's going to help that op- use that opposition to bring miracles in your life. If everything goes according to plan, then you just live a normal life. But when you are challenged and stretched and things are impossible, then you have to see miracles. And I thank God that He's put us, many times our family been in places where we face some impossible things. And my children will tell you, there was a time that we had no money, no food, and we would, at every meal, we would pray, thanks Jesus for this meal, would you please give us the next? And every day He gave us the next. Groceries would appear at our front door, miracles. There were many miracles that we saw... But it was impossible things that forced us to step in faith to trust for the miracles. So when you face an impossible things, you have a choice. Every giant, every mountain brings a choice. The first, you can believe God, step out in faith and live as victors. Or you can blame God, step back in fear and live as victims. Which one are you choosing? Yeah, just like Serena said, just hmm. I'd like to hear a hmm from everyone, please. Hmm. And all the congregation said, hmm. <laughs> then you can put an A and an N at the end of the hmm, and they can be R, hmm, N. <laughs> I, uh, my, my wife's wonderful. There were so many times, especially when I was really sick, that I would, I would feel like a victim. I was like, God, this isn't cool. I mean, I don't have energy. I'm in pain. And she would say, stop thinking like a victim. Like, you don't know what I'm going through. You're not a victim. And it took me a while to not get mad at her for saying that all the time. But God had to teach me I'm not a victim. And God would say, Andrew, uh, do you know there's people who don't have legs to walk? There's people who don't have ears to hear, eyes to see. How about being thankful for what you still have? And when you're in the midst of challenges, it is easy. In fact, it's probably your default to go to the second one. God, why are you allowing this? You're a good God. How can a good God let this happen? Because a good God wants you to be good. He wants you to be like Jesus. So he's going to put you through the fire to burn away everything that's not Jesus. 
When the Bible talks about tests, it says that he tests us like a purifier of gold or silver. And I've shared on this before, but the way you purify gold and silver is you turn up the heat until all the nasties float up to the top. And you see them and it's like, oh, that doesn't look good. And then I give it to Jesus. I let him take it. I I get free. I repent. I change my way of thinking and I look good again. And then he turns the heat up again. The fire and testing of God only destroys what's not Jesus. That's the good news. So when you feel like I'm dying, remember, it's just the part of me that's not like Jesus that's dying. And then embrace it. Die. Die, flesh, die. Burn. The quicker you embrace it and let it happen, the quicker you'll be through the test. So when we have that choice, in fact, James says this, consider it pure joy. Pure joy. When Jesus answers all your prayers, everything goes well, you have no problems, then you shall be joyful. Actually, no, because he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith must produce perseverance. So next time you go through a trial, how many of you consider it pure joy? That's what we're asked to do. We're meant to laugh at our mountains and our giants. When James goes on, he says, Perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Do you want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? Can I just hear? How many of you want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything? Yes. How many of you are willing to sacrifice and pay the price to get there? (laughs) Yes, you see, everyone wants the stuff. I thank God for the stuff he took me through because it, it broke things in me that God didn't want. And I'm still broken and I'm not saying I'm perfect. But I want to tell you something. I look back and I go, thank you, Jesus, for all those tests. And when you persevere under trial james says blessed are you because you persevere under trial that means the trial is not forever you just persevere through it yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death he doesn't say yea though i camp in the valley of the shadow of death right walk through too many of us oh, the valley of the shadow of death oh, God's it i'm such a victim it's so horrible god i thought you promised me blessings and prosperity uh, actually it's just oh Valley of the shadow of death. It says I shall walk through it. So I'm just going to persevere till I get through it. And in the midst of it, I'm going to have this beautiful feast with Jesus surrounded by my enemies. And what does that mean? It means I don't look at what the enemy is doing. I don't look at what God's not doing. I look at what God is doing. And he's got a feast for me to eat in the midst of my enemies. Jesus, take them away, please. Get rid of my enemies. And he's going, hey, taste this cookie. I mean, it is. Uh, and look at this roast beef. I mean... The enemies, I'm surrounded. Andrew, you're missing out on the cupcakes. Are you hearing? And so Zerubbabel and, and the Jews were facing incredible obstacles, incredible opposition. There were few of them. There wasn't enough material. And Zechariah likens it to a great mountain that they were facing prohibiting them from doing what god called them to do and he says who are you O great mountain you shall become a plain and what was he told to shout over it grace 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 well we're going to look a little bit at what grace is but this has become a habit in my life 
And I, I, it, it took me years to actually learn what grace was. Some people teach grace as, well, you can just do what you like and his grace will cover it. No, that's mercy. Mercy is not getting what I deserve. Grace is getting everything I don't deserve. And so grace is the empowering ability of God. And what, when we look through scripture, we see three main things that grace purchased for us and what God does with grace. And you use these to move your mountains. Grace has brought unmerited favor upon your life. You don't deserve it, but the favor of God surrounds you. When you go for an interview, the Bible says that you can be surrounded with his favor as a shield. So next time you have to face your boss or your husband or your wife or whatever it is, some difficult scenario, or you just feel like I'm an introvert, I can't make friends, walk into that situation going, no, I'm surrounded by his favor as a shield because that's what grace does. He surrounds me with favor as a shield. His grace gives me unlimited access. Unlimited access to his presence. Unlimited access to his power. Unlimited access to everything that heaven has. And his grace gives me unblemished sonship. You know, ladies get used to being sons. Men get used to being a bride. So everyone has to work on their gender issues with the, in the spirit realm, Okay. But so many Christians still feel like, oh, I'm just a sinner in God's eyes. How many of you have heard this phrase, I'm a sinner saved by grace? You know that that's not biblical? Yes, you were a sinner. Grace saved you now. You're no longer seen as a sinner in God's eyes. You may still fall in sin now and then, but God no longer sees you as a sinner. God sees you righteous in Jesus. God sees you clothed in a white robe that Jesus purchased for you. His blood washed you so that you are justified. And the Bible says that God, when you come into his presence, sees you as justified. What does that mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. So I come before God and I'm like, God, I'm so sorry for my sins and all the rest. And he's going, hey, Andrew, you're covered by the blood, man. It's all righteous. Let me show you what I'm going to do through you today. And Jesus, I'm so bad. I just can't stop. To... Andrew, Andrew, come on. You know, let me show you the good stuff. Let me show you the treasure I put inside of you. Let me show you what the spirit inside of you can do. Oh, my flesh, my flesh. Which are you going to focus on? The Lord's prayer does not start with, oh, forgive me my sins, forgive me my sins. Oh, Jesus, I'm just a worm. Step on me and watch me squirm. So many Christians are living like that. When you come into God's presence, asking forgiveness is not the first thing he's interested in. Dad who's in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's why I wake up every morning and go, hello, Dad. So it says, hallowed. <laughs> But I do, I make this my habit. When I wake up in the morning, I go, hello, Dad. Hello, Jesus. Hello, Holy Spirit. Help me today. Fill me again. And not every day goes well. And there are some days where I find myself using words that Jesus never used. There are days I don't tap into the Spirit and the glory within me. But He has to constantly remind me, don't forget who lives inside of you. Don't forget what my grace purchased for you. When, when we talk about grace, it says in Hebrews 4.16, you can approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. When do you need grace? <laughs> so are you in a time of need? 
I'm always in a time of need. I always need more grace. So I'm running around going, grace, 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 grace. So you know, when I pray for you, I will pray grace, grace over you. When people say I'm facing a difficult situation, I will say, speak grace, grace over it. I've learned that when you do that, what you are saying is, God, I can't do this. You need to come through and I'm releasing your grace to do it. Make it a habit in your life. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. How many of you think that there are impossible things in your life? So what we need to be doing is every single day, first thing you do, come before His throne of grace, receive mercy, which says, I don't get what I deserve. I didn't live like Jesus yesterday, but you still see me like Jesus. And your grace enables me to live like you want me to live. Your grace enables me to do that. And I'm not going to be like that overnight, but the more I apply the grace, the more I become like that, bit by bit. Amen? And so when we look at that, We're going to go through these things, but the miracle work of Jesus brings us to my last point because I don't want to end on a test. I want to end on triumph. The triumph, we've read about it, but remember what he said to Zerubbabel. You are going to complete this by the help of God. You can come to a place where there's just rubble. You can come to a place where there's nothing and there's opposition and there's giants and there's mountains. But the more you speak grace, grace over things the more you're going to see God come through and do things that you could never do. And I want to say to you that unless you put yourself in places where you really have to trust God, you're not going to see miracles. We had to go places where we had impossible situations to face. You have that choice. God, why have you put this here? So I can show you my miracle working power to deal with it. And I'm not just talking about praying for the sick. I'm talking about your job. When you face something, I don't know how to solve this. You're in the boardroom and everyone says, so, what do you think of this? That's the time you go, grace, 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 grace. I just need the loot quickly. I'll be back. I got a great answer for you. Grace, 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 grace. But the more you start to experience pulling into his throne room of grace and releasing his grace, you're going to start to find that he will work in every area of your life. There's nothing too small. Paul says, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So he started a work in you. So what if it's small? Part of Zechariah's prophecy is do not despise the day of small beginnings. So you might be starting small and looking and go, well, this is so insignificant. No, everything is significant to God. The fact that you're just building something with him is significant. The fact that you're releasing his grace and presence in something is significant. When we talk about the presence of God on us and the presence of God in us, I want to challenge you to continually recognize who lives inside of you and to release the grace that he's given you over everything that you face. Speak grace, grace over your job. Some of you, your giant is, I have no work. Speak grace, grace. Some of you, you have too much work. Speak grace, grace. And I want to tell you, there's something that grace, grace does in my soul. It tells my soul, I can't do this, but God can. I want you to stand and I I just want to pray that God's going to release something in your lives. But just like Zerubbabel was chosen, I want you to know you've been chosen to bring a message creation's been waiting for. It's good news. You've been chosen to do a work that cannot be stopped. Isaiah 9, 7 says of the increase of his kingdom and his government, there is no end. You've been chosen to carry God's power to change the world. Jesus said, the Holy Spirit is on me. The anointing is upon me to do what? 
to preach good news to the poor, to do miracles. Matthew, Mark, when, when he said to his disciples, I want you to go and pray for people, he said, as you go, not stir up your faith in the, most, in the big conference. He said, as you walk along these cities, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those with diseases, and cast out demons. You know that that can be our portion, but you have to start stepping out. You have to start saying, God, am I going to be religious or am I going to become the church Jesus is coming back for? Am I just going to settle for mediocre Christianity or am I going to go for the glory and the power and the presence? That's the choice you have. You can have as much of God as you want, but not everyone is prepared to do what it takes to have as much of God as you want. I want you to just, in your mind, picture the challenges you're facing, the obstacles you're facing. Maybe this will help. What are the things you grumble and complain about lately? What, is, what has been stressing you out? What are you anxious about? What has been taking your attention away from Jesus? And I want you to look at that and just say it with me. Grace, grace. Again grace grace release grace grace over your relationships release grace grace over your work release grace grace over every challenge that you're facing lord we speak i speak grace grace over every life here right now i pray father that your grace would show every person here who lives inside of them we often just forget what it is to be the temple of the holy spirit holy spirit thank you that you live inside of us Holy Spirit, thank you that you release the grace to enable us to live just like Jesus did. Why don't you just receive that grace right now? His grace will empower you this week to overcome every challenge. His grace will empower you to persevere. And if he doesn't calm the storm, his grace will allow you to sleep in the bottom of the boat with Jesus. Lord, I speak grace, grace over this next week of every person here that they will experience more grace, more favor, more passion, more of heaven, more of your glory, and they would spill it wherever they go. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you give the Lord a hand?